0: Hi, friends. Welcome to uh, Sunday Evening Conversations as we start the season of Lent and as we try to, in a digital format, recreate something we've done here for a long time, a soup and study that has happened on Sunday evenings in Lent. This year, of course, we do that differently. And as we thought about the topics and what we might put together, we came to this idea of a conversation about what we have learned. We hope that you're able to join us on Wednesdays as well when we're releasing interviews with people, asking them that very question, what their experience of the past year has been and what they have taken out of it. Those are really interesting snapshots of different people's experience. But we thought that the two of us, that Michael and I would spend some time reflecting on some of the themes we think we have identified as we have navigated both professionally and personally this strange and odd season that we have all been through. Because, on one hand, we are all kind of going through the same thing, on the other hand, each of us have a little different picture of it and a little different experience of it. And we start tonight in what I think is the obvious place the reality of change and the difficulty that change poses for us, and no secret that in the year 2020 and moving into 2021, we have no shortage of change to deal with.
1: Yeah, I wonder if to some extent this is low-hanging fruit. If you think (laughs) about things that have happened in 2020, I think change probably comes to the front of all of our imaginations pretty quickly. And to some extent, change is a conversation that's always with us, it's always a struggle, whether that be I'm trying to change my diet, I'm trying to change my physical practices, you know, I'm trying to change some of my bad routines. We all know how hard it is to change. What makes this season so distinct and and maybe unique in our lifetimes is it is an event that has forcibly required us to change In a kind of universal way, now I'm not saying that all of us changed or had to change in the exact same ways, but there is a kind of universality to the fact that this change happened at this moment for everyone, and that's not, I think, always true. And so in the midst of our own personal struggles with change, I think we can map that upon a much larger social, communal, even global kind of tidal wave that happened. And so you have people struggling with change. And then you have the collective union of those people, right? Churches, communities, states, nations, uh, you know, entire, uh, groups in the world struggling with that socially at the same time. And and what that does, I think, is it saps our willpower. It saps our ability to really sustain that change. If you've ever tried a small change in your life, I'm going to, you know, stop eating salt or so much salt and you try to knock that out of your diet, you know how hard it is to read the labels, to, to ask the waiter, hey, could you hold out the salt on this? It, it takes energy, both thought energy and will energy. And I, I wonder if we could see in this year, Clint, how that has uh, required the cost of us. It, it has required that we expend some of that willpower to deal with this onslaught of change around us.
0: I think there are two kinds of ways that we experience change, and they're both hard, but they're different kinds of difficult. One is when we try to make changes, say I'm going to lose the weight or I'm going to stop uh, smoking or eating the wrong food, whatever it is, and and we work toward that change. And that's hard because it demands that kind of uh, discipline and energy practiced over time. But then there is a different kind of change in which something is thrust upon us, uh, an illness or maybe a change of uh, status or lifestyle, whatever it might be. And that's hard for different reasons because then rather than trying to work toward the change over time, that change tends to happen quickly and it redefines the landscape. It, It changes our patterns, our assumptions, and I think probably both of those things were true for many people in 2020, but certainly that second type of change in which in a relatively short period of time, we all lived in in a different reality than we had been. We had new rules. We had new questions. We had new practices. We had new limitations. And that kind of change is difficult when it happens all at once because now it doesn't just demand discipline. Mm. it It demands trying to sort out a whole new way forward. And many of the things we've developed to deal with the life we had are now less helpful than they were. And it leaves us... Just sapped. It leaves us feeling like we constantly don't really know what's happening or or where we are or how to respond to it. And I think that's exhausting for people.
1: I think if we look under the hood there, Clint, the difference between those two types of change—the ones that we set ourselves towards and the change that happens to us—is that there's a fundamental difference in agency. In other words, in the one, we feel like we're driving the ship. In the other, it feels like we're simply trying to hold on while the ship is navigated. And I think especially for adults, it is a struggle when we feel like change is imposed by our circumstances, of course, but also by other people. When when we're kids and when we're in school— When we have parents that we're living in their home, we're used to the structure that happens when you have authority figures who say, this is what you need to do, then this is what you need to do. And and there's a, a habit and practice of responding, being flexible, changing because you have no other choice. And I think I've seen that lived out. It's been fascinating. I wonder if you agree that in so many ways, the changes that have been required of elementary, middle, high school students seems to have been easier for them to make. Well, uh, hey, listen, if I've got to do this to go to school, I'm all on board. And it has not been so easy for parents, for adults, for, for people struggling to try to figure out how these changes fit in our lives. And I wonder if that does reflect this sort of agency, that that we're not used to agency being taken in this way. And that makes change even more unbearable.
0: Yeah, I do think there's a a personal aspect in there somewhere, Michael. Some people are are just simply more adaptable to change, mm. less dependent on patterns, but certainly age could play a role in that. The longer that I've done something a certain way, the harder it is to to change that, to navigate that. And and for ch- children who um often don't have they they may have structure, but they may not have set patterns. Mm. It, it might be that's an interesting insight. It's probably easier for them. To navigate some of that. The other fundamental difference in those types of change that I think we might see is that when I aspire to a change, I almost always uh, inherently think of that change as positive. Mm. If I want to be in better shape, or I, I almost always set a positive goal that I'm working to, the change that happens to us quickly and forces us to adapt, I think almost without exception, initially, we experience that as negative that that feels like an unfortunate change in our reality and i think that does give it a a certain nuance uh, a certain color and i think you know it it creates a scenario in which we have to have this new thing that we didn't ask for and there's a temptation in that moment then to miss simultaneously simultaneously while we're trying to adapt to the new thing. We're also grieving the old thing, and it is difficult to do those two things at once, and it's difficult to do them both well.
1: Well, when we're reflecting on on what is good and bad in our life, or maybe said better, uh, what we appreciate in our life and what we would wish to do away with in our life, I think we often do turn to the past to give us a a guide for, for that experience. In other words, you know, how do you know that you like this kind of meat in your spaghetti or, or that you like this kind of burger as opposed to this one or this kind of fry, right? It, it's ultimately you had a good burger or you had a great experience on that vacation. So in the future, when you go do a thing, we do measure what we're doing now against the things that lie in the rear view mirror. And that is often helpful. What breaks down is when we find ourselves in radically new landscape that, that really can't map on that anymore. We're not eating burgers right now. We're eating some form of kale salad. And it's hard to measure those two against each other. And I do think there's a sense in which th- these experience of of radical change imposed becomes really tricky as we start sort of referencing what used to be, our memories of what was, because I'm not entirely certain that things were as we remember them all the time. I think that sometimes our present experience shapes what actually happened there, and our memory of it is a little different than what actually happened. And, And that transfer there, Clint, I think is both really interesting, but it's substantial when you begin to think, well, if I define this experience as good or bad by that one, if we're not remembering that one rightly, then I think there's a sense in which that does cause us to question, uh, are we truly, uh, you know, really seeing what's happening around us right now accurately?
0: I think— Perhaps the most tempting time to idealize or be over generous to the past is when things aren't going well in the present, right? I've I've heard countless people through the years talk about missing the past, but they don't miss the past when the doctor says Mm -hmm. we have a new treatment that's been developed that will cure what would have five years ago been devastating for you. That's not what we mean. We we don't say that when everything is great and we're able to get on a plane and go, you know, travel is easier and cooking is easier. We, that's not what we mean. We mean that emotionally, there's something that unsettles us in the present. And so we look back emotionally to a time that we felt more grateful, more stable, um, More happy—that's a tricky word, but maybe one that many people would use. And there is this tendency in that moment to romanticize Mm -hmm. the past. You know, um, you you think about twenty nineteen. Probably no one at the time would have said twenty nineteen is awesome. This is just such a great you know this is the best days of our life it's funny how good they look a year later <laughs> right. when you're locked in your basement hoping there's toilet paper that, that will you know not run out before the hoarders get to it and th- th- this sense that just things kind of change and when they do we have a tendency to look backward and and there's a real blessing in that there is a it provides i think a stability that we lose in the midst of change the downside of that is that it can make it harder to navigate the new future you know it's very hard to move forward while you're looking backward. We have this conversation in the church all the time it's very hard uh, in congregations at times to incorporate new things because people are so vested in old things, even when they're no longer as effective as they they might have once been and and it's a difficult moment to move forward if We are spending too much time um, mourning what we've lost or looking back to a, a time behind us.
1: You know, it's interesting because I don't think most of us, when we look back for help in navigating our present. I don't think we're generally doing that for the trappings of the past. I mean, to your point, most of us don't want to drive the car that we were driving 30 years ago. We like the auto start feature in the middle of January. Uh, Most of us don't want to go back to some of the food that we're intentionally not eating anymore because I like this food better. I think when we do that... We're generally looking to the past because we have some anxiety, some real deep-seated, maybe even not conscious fear that we're going to lose who we are in uh, and who we want to be into the future. Because in the past, we, by nature of being human, see things with more clarity. That 2020 uh, vision comes when you look in the rear view mirror. And there's a sense in which we can look on who we were and say, you know, I didn't have it all right. But I did care about my family and I did try to navigate that well. And that I had a success there and, and I want that to be who I am. And when we move into the future and we, we have to navigate in troubled, difficult times, we don't have that same comfort. We're, we're making decisions that we don't know the implications. We're trying our best just like we were in the past, but we don't know how it's going to pan out. And I think there's something in human nature that wants to preserve who we want to be. And there's this fear that change is going to not just change our circumstances. It's going to change who we are. And and that could be good. We know that there's places in our life that we would do well to change. We got some anger we need to let go of. We need to change and, and forgive, right? We know that there's places that we want change, but I think we also have some real anxiety that, that we're going to change in a way that we don't want to change. And I wonder if the past provides us sort of a glimmer, a, a window, an, an anchor that helps us feel like we know who we are and, and we're a little safe from the change that might happen.
0: I think that's true. I think looking backwards tends to insulate us from the effort that it takes to navigate a new landscape you know uh, there 's some really interesting ideas that things like discipline and optimism and um, resilience are kind of fixed qualities in each of us they They can be built upon kind of like being fit as you as you get in shape, you can increase your capacity for exercise but that at any given moment you have a somewhat limited supply of those things and one of the things that routines do is they protect us you know if you have the same routine every morning up at 6:30 do some exercise get some coffee eat a piece of toast then then you're putting almost no thought into right. that. You, you don't have to use any of that decisive energy. You're not using any any of that internal strength to make a decision. Maybe what kind of cereal will I have? But that's not a real, that's not a stressful kind of decision. But when we lose those routines, like we did in COVID, where where everything changes, and now your morning routine looks like well, I get up and then I have to work from home and now I have to make 10 decisions about what working from home looks like mm-hmm. because I'm not in the place where I had my routines. I'm not in my same space. I'm not, I'm not doing the same thing in the same way. Now all of that demands that I use some of that decision-making energy. Something as simple as, do I go to the grocery store today? Right. And is it time for my group of people to be there? Is that safe? Should I wear the mask? Should I you know, d- disinfect the cart handle? Now, now as I have to approach all of those things and use some of that energy, I think that's part of what makes – change so um, so tiring for most of us. And also, I think what makes us want to avoid it where we can so that we can save that that energy for things that we'd rather use it for. And it seems to me that part of what 2020 did is force all of us to bring energy to bear that in places we hadn't had to. And I think that's exhausting.
1: That's a really interesting insight. And I'm reflecting on conversations I've had with church members throughout the course of the year. And one thing that's striking to me is that our patterns and habits and routines, they've all been changed. At some point, every one of us has had to figure out how to get groceries and and how to handle that uh, you know, license renewal or, or whatever the living life kind of stuff we've had to do is. We've had to figure out ways to do it. So everyone's pattern has changed, but not everyone's patterns have changed equally. Some people uh, work outside and quite frankly... Covid or not, they've gone to work and they've done the stuff outside they need to do. And it's not impacted them in the same way that a clerk at the grocery store's life has changed. And, and right. So there's also a kind of disparity in the change. Though we're universally required to change, we're all using those muscles at different levels, somewhat by, by nature of what we do. And I do think that that makes it difficult to have the kind of communal change that is happening simultaneously. Because if I have no willpower left for change, listen, my job yesterday is not the job I have today. I I think of uh, a family member who's a nurse. Uh, For the first three months of COVID, every day there was new training about what your job was. And, And that requires so much of you. For others, it was, hey, why are we so stressed out about this? And I wonder if there's not some sense that there was different intensities of that kind of pattern, routine change for different people.
0: And that's really interesting, Michael, because some of the flashpoints looking back were, were seemed to me to have been at moments where some word of guidance came out and then changed. You know, initially it was, we don't think this is airborne... You don't need masks. And then later, well, we, it is airborne. We think masks are a good idea. A- and the pushback against, you told us one thing, right. right? We can't, we can't do this. We can't just wake up every morning and get new guidelines because we just figured out. How to, how to do it this way. And now you're, and people were doing that personally. They were doing that relationally. They were doing that professionally. Uh, I would think even those who were blessed to have a job that was largely unaffected, almost all of us knew how to do something Mm -hmm. that didn't work the same way in COVID, whether that was getting groceries, whether that was going to the restaurant, whether, you know, all of us lost something in that. And we also, it seems to me, lost some of the ways we cope with that. We lost Mm -hmm. our coffee groups. We lost our golf leagues. We lost, uh, you know, Little League, whatever it might be, getting together with friends, going to a movie. So you have this change that's being experienced as primarily negative for nearly Everybody, um, and I, I, th- that certainly colors it. And I, and I think early on, that sense of just fatigue, change fatigue, was uh, really debilitating for people. And then, you know, th- then as we kind of flat flattened, maybe we all began to find it. But I, I think initially, those first three, four months, at least. After it became clear that it wasn't a two week or four week thing, we were to some extent in a long haul situation i i I remember sensing just a heaviness that landed on people as they realized we don't even we don't even know what the new patterns will look like.
1: It's interesting that you say that because I do think our relationship to change may be different. Depending upon the moment in time that you look at in 2020, Mm -hmm. it is striking when we've had some conversations for this Lenten series. You've already mentioned these interviews on Wednesday. We hope that you join us for those because I think there's some real substance there. One pattern that I believe I've seen in those conversations is that almost universally people reflect back on the very early days of the pandemic as the ones where good happened, Eating with family around the table, wiping out calendars, uh, sort of returning to things that mattered. There was good in that change. But then month three, month six, month nine, that change became less hope-filled and, and more drudgery, more painful, more, more of a struggle. Because I think what we see is in the beginning, change offers opportunity and sure. and most of us especially if you naturally have an optimistic outlook you, you can look at that and say hey there's something good here but then when you continue to be required to make changes and and those changes are both internal you know families have had to make so many adaptations for okay what are we going to do with our kids mm. childcare and how are we going to help kids understand that they're safe but they need to take precautions right all of these changes that people are making over time become far, far more difficult to find the good in. And I wonder if that's a natural progression of the kind of sustained change that 2020 has brought.
0: That's really interesting, Michael. I wonder if internally we have some measure of time in which it's hard to call temporary. You know, the idea that we were going to do this for a brief window, and and everybody just needed to kind of buckle up and deal. But but when we're talking about something temporary at the six month and eight month mark, it it doesn't feel very temporary at that point. And I think you and I have had that mm-hmm. experience here. You know, the the third and fourth time we were trying to come up with a a, a fun children's sermon idea, th- there was some. Th- there was some novelty in that there was even some challenge in it the 40th time you're doing it you're thinking oh good lord I, when is this over right and and it does have a kind of cumulative effect it it chips away at your resolve until you're just tired and and i think you know it's it's amazing how many people use the word tired in, in a time that not a lot is i mean what and what what we mean, of course, is emotionally tired, spiritually right. tired um- m- maybe physically tired, but generally, I find that's not what people they don 't mean exhausted in the same way they meant my calendar had seventy two things on it last week and and I had to cancel three th- that's a different kind of tired this is an emotional a drained kind of tired and and I think um this last year has probably put all of us there for at least some period of time.
1: And you mentioned this, but I, I want to just make sure that we see the connection because I think they are connected, is that in that moment where change has required a lot of us, and not just that sort of initial burst of energy, but now we're running the marathon, now, now we're a ways down the road, and and we're feeling the weight of the change uh, upon us relationally, socially. Uh, you know, even maybe financially in some concrete ways, right? In that moment, we are not tempted to go do more heavy lifting. When I'm tired, I don't want to eat broccoli. I want to eat Oreos and I want to eat the whole bag of Oreos, right? When I'm tired, I don't want to go watch a highbrow documentary about how this thing played out in history. No, I want to watch a dumb TV show that helps me escape from the world a little bit. I think, We have, as a nation, uh, had conversations about social media and communication, all this kind of stuff. I I think we need to give ourselves a little bit of a break. I think we've just had a year where Oreos were tempting. (laughs) I think we've we've sort of buckled under the the strain, the struggle of sustaining the change that's been required, and it's only natural— that we've compensated. And then a lot of that compensation, if we're going to be honest and, and exercise a little hmm. bit of humility, has not been helpful. We, we know that. Maybe even we feel some guilt for that. But change has a way of exposing the cracks, adding pressure in difficult places, and we shouldn't be surprised, I don't think, when we've tried to cope with that in a variety of ways.
0: So, Check me, check me if I'm wrong on my history here, Michael. But I, it would be very fascinating to get the calendar out because, as I remember it, it may be very telling that the protests over masks and distancing did not happen in the first month. Mm. These came later. I, I would guess at about the three month mark. The, I, from what I remember, is that sort of wave of of Discontent happened at about the time we were transitioning into a longer-term reality than we expected. Um, it would be very interesting to get the calendar out, but I suspect I suspect a case can be made that much of that could have been fueled by that sense of just I've we've had enough. I've I've used up all the energy I have for this, and I just want to be done with it, and I refuse to do it anymore. Um, I I think that that may have been a factor. I hadn't thought of
1: it that way. Well, and we've had conversations with both local leaders. We've had these conversations numerous times. If you approach the human capacity to meet change, what we've sort of called willpower, but if you think about that quantitatively and think that it's a limited resource— then you've got to sort of spin yourself into the leader's seat. And if you're aware of that, leaders across many platforms in our community, our our state, our nation, right, leaders are trying to figure out what's the sustainable rate of change that we can expect as we're all trying to make progress forward here. And the struggle with that is, you know, should have we locked down when we did? Should have we asked people to do this practice then? Should have we waited? What did, was it too soon? These are sort of easy questions to ask, but impossible to answer because fundamentally, we as humans probably just don't have the capacity to change that quickly without something not working, without something breaking down. And I do think there are implications as communities of faith in that, especially as we talk about the Spirit of God working in us, what we can't do for ourselves. I think that that is framed as a faith community, which we'll talk about more in this conversation. But there's a sense in which I do think we maybe underestimated how much that long-term marathon-type change would require of us. And then we not only underestimated the cost, we really beat ourselves up both individually and societally when we struggled to meet that pace. And and I wonder if some reflection uh, with some grace would help us see that we've been people trying to do a very difficult task in in landscape that we're not comfortable with, that that is new to us.
0: Yeah, there's, there's an interesting dichotomy in people in that historically humans are remarkably adaptable. Uh, They live in every kind of climate on the globe. They figure things out when there are natural disasters or problems. Tribes and societies navigate those things. And we have this incredible adaptability built into what it means to be human. On the other hand, we are very—once we find something that works— we tend to ride it to death. We're very committed to our patterns. We are very locked in to the way we do things. And and both of those things are true mm-hmm. about people, which makes us very interesting and, and, and entertaining and, and maybe frustrating, right? That left to our own, we will find a, navig- a way to navigate change. But once we do, we're going to want to keep doing it that way, even when it no longer is probably the best way to do things. We have this ability to commit to what has worked in the past, and you know, as we come out of this season, hopefully in in the coming weeks and months, I, I think you may see the tension of what what changes for people permanently this this temptation mm-hmm. to think we want to go back to how it used to be is probably not in most many areas of our life at least going to be realistic the, this experience of 2020 has probably fundamentally changed some things about mm-hmm. uh government uh, about business uh, about some of our day-to-day lives for better and worse and, and it will simply not be a case of, well, we got that over with, now let's go back a year and a half mm-hmm. to what we used to do and just all keep doing that again. It It's likely we're going to have to find some ways to integrate what we've learned and done with a, a new normal, a new way of moving forward, which I think will be an interesting challenge for all of us, um, particularly at a time that we may be a little tired.
1: I can't think of any other sermon title that has buried itself so deeply in my thinking as one that we had, I believe, in September. might have been August. Uh, the sermon title was, Coming Back Isn't Going Back. And there's something about that phrase that has really deeply embedded itself in my imagination because there are a plentitude. I have an entire list. I could probably show you that list of places I want to go back to. I, I like travel. I, I like moving. A- and so one of the things that I've experienced loss in this season is not getting to go places. I want to go back to there in many circumstances. But I have realized in deep and meaningful ways that, that going places— is not going back to places, that, that these places will be changed in meaningful ways. And if you factor the fatigue, if you recognize the challenge of change, then I think you've got to be gracious with yourself when you experience that realization with some dread, with some really, unf- a, a real grief. Because I think what we want is a feeling of things that are put together structure and order that makes sense and is comfortable. Places that that we have good memories in and, and we want to go back to those places. It's not really the place probably. It's probably the experience we had in that place. We want that again. But the reality is we have been shaped in real and meaningful ways. And as people of faith, we are going to have to grapple with both the good and the bad? What are ways that we're called to be transformed as the people of Christ against some of the negatives we've seen crop up in this season? And likewise, what are the goods that need protected, nourished, cared for so that they grow so that we might as people of faith continue to be faithful in our task? And that's going to look like going forward as different people than the people that entered this season. But Clint, I I recognize how great of a weight that feels for most of us. The idea that we're going to have to navigate more waters even beyond this uh, is a very, very hard thing to process. I
0: think when we experience a change as primarily negative, it makes it increasingly difficult to see that there may be some upsides to it. You know, change is... Often neutral, it, it just presents us with a new set of realities, a new set of challenges, and forces us to navigate that. And that's not all bad, though. I, I think you know probably a lot of this past year and the changes that have gone with it have impacted people negatively, and th- that's true. That that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. But because it's true, we might think that it's all bad. And I, I think one of the things that may help us in that is to to try and, in our more optimistic moments, to reflect on, have there been some upsides? Yeah. Have we learned something? Nothing is all bad. That's that's what we mean when we use the word grace. There's, there's nothing that is inherently of no value and worth, and so— uh, are there things that we have learned? You know, Michael, and, and I think of it through this lens in the church, in a, in a period of literally just a couple of days, we went from being a, a typical normal church to being a digital church, as did almost every church in the country. And we didn't get there through a long thought out plan. It got dropped on us. and And then we had to scramble to try and figure out what does that mean? how do we talk about community at a time when people are locked in their homes? How do we talk about togetherness in a moment where we're not getting together? And those are hard questions. But the upside in our circle is that it forced us to ask some new questions, mm. to develop some new skills, to come up with some new techniques and some new technologies, to incorporate some new ways to do things. And and in some ways, it erased a lot of our old questions. You know, I think back when we were talk about our first service and second service as having different styles, that conversation became immediately meaningless when we're just trying to fill 60 minutes of video so that we can get something to people that we hope will help them. The idea of what style the music is becomes almost, almost trivial instantly. And I I think COVID in, in some way has probably done something like that for all of us. It has pushed us in a new direction, and maybe it wasn't welcome, but that doesn't mean it wasn't positive.
1: I think that one temptation as we look at church in this season is to oversimplify what happens. In other words, we might be tempted to say, You're only a church if you're in your sanctuary and, and you're not faithful if you're not. The other temptation is to say is, no, that you can't possibly be in your sanctuary and it's only digital and you gotta figure out what it means to be an online community. Whenever we find ourselves making these kind of binary statements, I, I have a little internal dashboard that starts flashing that, that there's, there's more nuance there. And I think that that has shown itself to be true. Even the people who we've had sustained conversations about how important the sanctuary is to their worshiping experience. What has happened in this season is it's created the necessity for more, more robust, robust, excuse me, vocabularies. In other words, okay, so the sanctuary is an important part of your worshiping experience. Now let's talk about why. What about the sanctuary is it? Is it the space? Is it the people? Uh, is it the way that we are spaced in the sanctuary? It has required us, even in these sort of what we unfortunately make binary in or out kind of conversations, it's required us to think more robustly about, no, this is the particular thing that's meaningful in this thing. And, and then we work from that to figure out, okay, well, how can we uh, adapt to, to meet that kind of worshiping need, and, and it and it gives us new tools as we seek to be church together. But my point is this, Glenn. We, we, I think as we look at, at being church far too simplistically, that the questions that COVID has forced us to ask will have implications for the stuff that we do that seems normal again someday, because it's enabled us to talk about and see things in that normal we couldn't have possibly seen before this experience.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's the gift of a moment in which a reset button gets pushed, is that in the course of our normal patterns, it's very difficult to just put a hold on everything and go back to the fundamental questions. And there, there is that sense of maintenance. And maintenance goes out the window when it's time to create something new. And so I, I think what that does is, you know, for instance in the church, I, I I think we will never conceive of community quite the same way. You know, we tend to think uh, of the people who come to church and there's always on the outside a few who aren't able. But, but, but I think we have learned that we can connect in ways that we didn't know and and I think it will change the conversation in some ways about what it means to reach out to people, Mm -hmm. what it means to provide opportunities to worship, to study together. And we have, I think, developed some new tools, which we had available to us Mm -hmm. pre-COVID, but it never occurred to us that that kind of need might be out there. And um, I, I think that that is one of the blessings For each of us, again, I'm not trying to suggest there hasn't been difficulty. I I think one of the things that will happen, as we, you know, as vaccinations come and as people come back above board and we get together again, we're going to have to spend a lot of time hearing people's stories, their the the pain, the struggles. The I, I think we're going to have a period of kind of grieving together, what we've lost, but but also concurrently with that, we're going to be saying, okay, that's all real, and it's all important, but where do we go now, and how do we go there? And I think we answer those questions differently than we did a year ago, and, and I don't think in the long run that will be, while there's heaviness and, and difficulty in it, I don't think it's all bad.
1: You know, one of, I think each of us has areas of the the Christian discipleship journey that are weaknesses for us, and mine personally, uh, at least one of them is is simply faith, which is fundamental to our uh, to our uh, belief in Jesus Christ. But uh, let me explain what I mean. I my uh, personal temptation is God. I'll I'll handle this for you. You you can you can sit on the side, and I've got this for you, God. And so, trusting that God is with me on the journey is the place I continually. Uh, find myself being re-centered to. I, I, I'm a beloved child, and I trust that God is with me in the midst of this journey. And it seems to me that as a church family, we continue to navigate these waters together. We will continue to navigate these waters. We are, we are constantly going to be presented with, I think, a temptation and an opportunity The temptation is the easy button. The idea let's push this thing and go back and everything will be as it was. We just do it like we did it. What's unfortunate in that temptation is we believe in that, that going back to what was simple and easy, it it leaves behind all of the experiences and people who have been with us on this journey. We have Added to our number, not just people in worship, people who have found our community a place of welcome and respite and sanctuary, thanks be to God. The only way to navigate with all of those people is the far more difficult task of saying, Lord God, we believe that you're with us. We have faith. We trust you that you will help us navigate these future uh, waters And God, we're open to what that will be. And that is a more costly understanding of the Christian witness. Not that we can just sort of return to earlier practices writ large, but rather that we need to allow the Spirit of God to transform us moving forward. And and what that requires is the humility and even the energy it will take to have a sustained conversation about things that we took for granted that maybe we shouldn't anymore.
0: I think that both from a personal standpoint and a corporate or congregational standpoint, one of the things that this experience has offered us is the chance to see that while the patterns, beloved and useful and important, have been tremendously meaningful to us, we should not confuse them with what the patterns try to point us toward and deliver us to the church is not God. Coming together and having a bulletin and three hymns and a prayer and a sermon is not our faith. Th- these are things that we do in, in pursuit of our faith, but we should never substitute them for the faith itself. And And I think one of the opportunities we've had in this past year is to kind of lean into that lesson a little bit. As the patterns have been shifted, in some ways removed from us, we've had to say, okay, I miss the patterns. But what I've learned is that the pattern was just pointing me to the ultimate reality that is still true, that God is God and that I am a beloved child of Jesus Christ, connected in faith to those who follow him and responsible in his name for reaching out into the needs of the world. that That's always been true. And, and the patterns we use to try and help us learn that can also be the very things that sometimes insulate us from it. And I, I think it has been, in some ways, a, a helpful challenge to say, what does it look like to be Christian with new patterns, with at least temporary patterns? And I, I look forward to that conversation and seeing where it will push the church, I think this period of change, as difficult as it has been, may in some ways fundamentally shift some of what we understand about ourselves as a community of Jesus Christ, and, and I think that is um, that that has some real
1: potential. This is sort of where I land in this conversation. Is the ultimate challenge of navigating change together is, I think, ultimately trusting God. Because I think our fear is that we will have changed, that that we as the people of God will have changed in ways that we don't want to have changed. And what we have to know is that God walks alongside us in this journey. In fact, not just beside us, God leads us in this journey. And there are many practices, routines, habits that we will indeed return to. This isn't about change for change's sake. It, it's not about just always be optimistic in the face of overwhelming circumstances. Absolutely not. When, when you evaluate your circumstance in the light of Christ, there are going to be many markers in the past that will be anchors for us and who we are into the future. But let us not forget the deep challenge of remaining convicted by and connected to in faith, the the one who calls us forward as the people of God. And that will require the willingness to recognize that, that we will be shaped in new patterns and practices, but we will remain and will not have changed in any sense as beloved children of God. Our relationship to God the Father and our salvation in Jesus Christ is a fundamental truth that does not change. And and so it is therefore upon that foundation that we see these other changes as opportunities to engage, to be faithful, to grow. And and that doesn't make it easy, Clint, but it gives it meaning. And I think that's what we find in, in the life of faith is that God Goes with us in a way that provides meaning, even if it doesn't make it simple or easy.
0: Absolutely. And we realize that we could never, in a brief podcast, begin to scratch the surface on what change has required and meant for even ourselves, let alone a congregation or a community. And so we do want to continue this conversation in in about 10 minutes or so. We're going to have a live Zoom call. You'll see the link in the description of this video. We'll also have been publishing it. And so we. if this is something you'd like to continue to think out loud about, it'll give us an opportunity to try and incorporate a sense of togetherness. We will be able to at least see and hear one another. And we know that change is hard, and yet we trust in the one who is unchanging in his love and his disposition towards us. And we face all difficult moments in the knowledge that we are always beloved and that we are always secure in Christ, even when life is difficult and the waters are changing. So we're thankful that you've been with us on, in this conversation. We look forward to hearing more from you.